Good morning. What a wonderful privilege it is to be here. And again, I have connections with um, San Francisco Bible Church because your former pastor, Pastor Wayman Lee, used to be my pastor in Seattle for many years, and we went out with him to plant a church. And in 1999, that church where Pastor Henry was uh, a staff, they sent me to China, and I was uh, doing internship there for three years with OMF. I'm originally from Seattle. I grew up, and Cindy was my neighbor a few blocks down. I met Henry in college. Before he was a pastor, I knew him as well. I knew him the days where he had an earring. He did have an earring, so you can't fire him now. It's way too late. <laughs> but he took it off, and it's all closed up, so everything's good now. Okay, so, so that was our days, and it's such a privilege to, to be here and be invited to this church. There's lots of legacy here as well. So um, as you said, I grew up in Seattle, Washington, and I was, used to be a science teacher, and, but God called me into missions, and I went to China. Uh, for three years to serve as an English teacher, and eventually went to Bible school in Singapore, and that's where I met my wife. Let me introduce my wife. She's the Yumin. Uh, this is my wife, Yumin. And my, my sister, I come every year to visit my family. My sister lives in San Francisco, her, my sister, Aquina, and her husband, and my niece. You can stand up as well. <laughs> they just live down the street. So I met my wife in Singapore, and we have three little kids, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-and-a-half-year-old baby. And our baby is baby Elijah, and he just started walking maybe a month ago, a month or two ago. So um, here's me walking with him. He's quite steady. He loves to walk with Bapa all the time. And it's amazing when kids are little, they love to walk with their parents. When they get older, they don't want to walk you with you anymore, right? But when they're little, they love to walk with their parents. Because children have this, they're drawn to their father. And this picture of a child walking with the father is really a picture of Jesus walking with us. I come from a church where we emphasize discipleship. And people always think discipleship is a program, it's a Sunday school lesson. But in our church, we believe discipleship is really walking with Jesus every day. So today I want to bring us back to our walk with Jesus and how, how Jesus walks with us and how we can improve our walk with Jesus. Because sometimes in the busyness of life, we forget and we kind of walk our own ways. But today I want to talk about how Jesus brings us back to walking with him. So turn in your Bibles to Luke 24, and I want to talk about walking into God's discipleship and God's mission. I'm turning to one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Luke 24, verses 13 through 49. And it's a bit long today, so I won't read you. I'll only read excerpts of it during my sermon today. So before we enter God's word, let's just open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this beautiful building you have blessed um, this church with, Lord. And we pray, Lord, we won't be just hearers of the word, but we be doers of the word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So in this passage, we're going to talk about four ways that Jesus disciples us, how Jesus walks with us, four ways through this passage. So let's begin at verse 13 reading from 13 to 16. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. 
but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I'm going to stop right there. Ask some questions. Okay, this, the context of this passage is after Jesus had been crucified, he risen from the dead, and now he was showing himself to his disciples. So some questions to ask about our passage is, who can tell me where Emmaus is? You get a prize if you can tell me where Emmaus is. Okay, so no one can get surprised. In fact, no one knows where it is, so there is no prize. So Bible scholars don't know where Emmaus is because it is such a probably a small town that no one knows on a countryside really, really, really far away in some Ululu place. And this is where Jesus was. He was in a village named, a road near a village named Emmaus. Now think closely. Jesus has just raised from the dead. It is a big deal. (laughs) It's a big deal. No one believed him. He's the son of God. And Jesus has chosen to use his time by going to a dusty little country town road near a village named Emmaus to talk to two disciples. Now, why would Jesus do that? Because if I was Jesus and no one believed where I was, if I rose from the dead, I would like to go to the downtown San Francisco City Hall, stand on top of the building and scream, I've risen from the dead, believe in me. And that's what most people would do these days. We live in a celebrity culture where people like to promote themselves. And here Jesus is not promoting. He's doing something very quiet and doing. Why would Jesus, in a sense, in our view, waste his time on a lonely road talking to two disciples? And we only, we only know the name of one of them. Why would Jesus do that? The reason why is that's the type of Savior we have, a Savior who draws near to us. He's not interested in all the limelight. He's interested in walking with his disciples. So the first thing you must know about discipleship is Jesus has time to spend with each one of us. There's no one too unimportant or too important that Jesus wants to draw near. So my first point about discipleship is that Jesus disciples us in our everyday lives. And here are two disciples who are so confused after the resurrection, after the, the crucifixion. They were, they were talking, they were confused about their purpose in life, what they were doing. Here Jesus used his precious post-resurrection time to minister them. And it wasn't a waste of time. Because sometimes in life, we are struggling. We wonder why this is happening, why this relationship is not working, why we're having problems at work. We wonder why. And at that point, we think that Jesus is so far away, that Jesus is not there. But today, God is saying, actually, Jesus is there. He is walking next to you. You just might not be able to physically see him. And the Bible says, Jesus draws near to them. These people weren't walking to a temple to look for Jesus. They weren't even doing anything. Jesus went to them. And we must know that discipleship begins with Jesus drawing close to us, especially in times of struggles. And I know today there's probably some of us us struggling, feeling very alone in our walk. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is there. You might not see him, but he is certainly there. And Jesus comes alongside us in our struggles. But Jesus goes a step further. As he's walking with the disciples, not disclosing himself, he's walking and walking and walking, opening up the word of God, and they get to the village, and being very, very kind people, they invite him to dinner. And at dinner, this is what happens in verse 28. So they drew near 
to a village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were open, and they recognized him. This is the best part. And he vanished from their sight. And in verse 36, and they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Now think about this again. You're eating dinner with Jesus. And while you're talking, he disappears. He disappears. When has your dinner guest disappeared? And he disappeared, and then a few days later, when the disciples were just chit-chatting and talking, he reappeared like a magician. Now again, why would Jesus scare his disciples like that? He just wanted to joke around, wanted to show off. Again, Jesus is very intentional. He does nothing by accident. Now you think about, why would he show such a magnificent display of supernatural power? And again, this is the second point of how Jesus disciples us. Sometimes in our walk with the Lord, sometimes we just forget who Jesus is. We sometimes think Jesus is just our friend. He's a guy we talk to. We forget that Jesus is the son of the living God. And sometimes Jesus and God have to break into our lives and show him that he is an almighty, powerful God. And that's what Jesus did. He burst into their lives saying, I can disappear, I can reappear. And sometimes Jesus not only disciples us in our struggles, he disciples us in the supernatural. So in those times, again, signs and wonders were used to authenticate the apostles' teaching, to show them that what they're saying is true. Okay, today we don't see people vanishing right before your eyes. I hope not. (laughs) But we believe that God is still having um, supernatural miracles in this day and age. Because sometimes we just forget how powerful God is. We, believe, we, we live in a culture of very westernized. Or we don't believe in miracles so much anymore. But sometimes in our walk with God, God has to show us that he is an almighty God. And it still happens today in lesser extents as well. I'm a missions pastor. I travel all over Southeast Asia doing missions. One time I met a pastor who had, I talked to after. There's like, remember that huge um, typhoon in the Philippines? 186 miles per hour. That is some strong winds. It's the biggest one ever recorded. And there was a pastor living in the Philippines. And that night when the, the, the wind was blowing, the family was just huddled up in their house, in their church, praying that God will save them. And after, after the morning when they came out of the house... Everything was totally flattened. Even the coconut trees were gone as well. And only thing standing was the pastor's house and church. Some people will think good architecture. (laughs) But you know what? I think it's God's miracle upon this pastor to show him, I am with you. What a witness to the community as well. And most of us have not been in typhoons, maybe earthquakes in San Francisco, (laughs) But again, in everyday life, I have a couple in our church um, from Malaysia. They got married, and they spent the first few years of marriage just getting to know each other. And after three years, they wanted to have children. And they tried for one, two, three, four, and they couldn't have, they couldn't conceive. And they decided to do IVF, lots of procedures. They did it twice, but a lot of money. 
And, they, and after 12 years, they could not conceive. And they were just so discouraged and so distraught. But then one day, the wife was throwing up and getting sick, went to the doctor, and lo and behold, she was pregnant. And even the gynecologist couldn't believe it. And he didn't want to say anything. So they waited a couple more months, and they actually found a heartbeat. And the gynecologist just said, they said, this is amazing. They said what science couldn't give them, what their own efforts couldn't give them, this baby was indeed a miracle. It was a miracle. And it confirmed that God was walking with them. And now they have one girl, and a few years later they add another girl. And then recently they had a third girl, and they said, God, enough miracles, please. (laughs) Really, they go, that's really enough for us. We believe in you. Wait, that's enough. Please stop. Okay, so now, so they have three lovely girls, and now, you know, they're continuing to worship the Lord. This family, they're all wearing the same clothes because on Sundays, we ask the families to serve together, passing out the bulletins and doing ushering. So this is how Jesus disciples us in the supernatural. It's amazing that in this passage, they didn't ask for miracles. They weren't praying for them. They just happened during times of life. That's something we must, be, uh, we must remember about miracles and signs and wonders. It's not, they're not the focus here. So Jesus disciples us in our struggles, disciples us in the supernatural, but discipleship does not end there. That's just the beginning. Because look at verse um, 32. This is an amazing part of this verse. After he vanished from their sight, in verse 27, they said to each other, where did Jesus go? They didn't say that, did they? Or like, oh, who's going to eat Jesus' dinner? They didn't say those things either. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he up opened us to, to us the scriptures? Now, right when Jesus disappeared, they didn't say, where's Jesus? You know, if I just disappeared in front of you, you probably wouldn't say, where, you'd probably say, where did Pastor Andy go? What a great trick. But they said, oh, we love the Bible. Isn't that kind of an odd statement to say? If someone disappeared in front of you, you would not say, "Where oh, I love the Bible. But that's what the disciples said. When Jesus appeared, they said, we love reading the Bible. Now that is a, a bit of odd unpacking I must do. So when the supernatural thing happened, they didn't focus on the supernatural. They focused on the Bible. They said their hearts were burning when, when Jesus opened to us the scriptures. Now that is amazing because their, their discipleship diet wasn't based on the supernatural. So between, between the supernatural, between the miracles, their faith was based on the scriptures. They were. And they said their hearts were burning with the scriptures. And the, the Bible uses hearts burning. That's, the, that's really, really hot. The word burn is the same word for the flames in hell. It's really, really, really hot. And my question is, how did these disciples have such a love and burning cessation for the scriptures? How did that happen? Well, again, look back at the passage. The answer is there. Again, in verse 13, how long were they walking with Jesus? Just a couple of minutes. How long were they walking with Jesus? How many miles were they walking with Jesus? Seven miles. So for seven miles, they were walking with Jesus, and Jesus was reading the scriptures to them. Now that, based in, if you, depends how fast you walk. But if you're walking for seven miles, that's like three to four hours of Bible study with Jesus. And that's an important principle is that the more we 
read Scripture, the more we will love Scripture. And the less we read Scripture, the less we will love Scripture. Because sometimes it's so easy for our hearts to draw far away from God's Word. You know, some people, I'm sure not in your church, but some people in our church only open the Bibles on Sundays. (laughs) Or maybe a couple minutes during the week. And hearing a 30-minute sermon is not enough to start a fire in your heart. It has to be a daily reading of the Word of God. That's why I'm so impressed that your church is called San Francisco Bible Church holding fast the word of life. And you have this, you know, daily Bible reading. So I know in this church you're emphasizing the word of God. And I want you to continue to do that as well. But not just focusing on the head, but the heart must be touched by the scriptures as well. And I have a confession to make. I'm a pastor, but sometimes I get so busy in life, I forget to read the Bible. And I'm sure it never happens to you, but sometimes I only read the Bible to prepare for a sermon. (laughs) Or sometimes I only read the Bible to prepare for a Bible study. And I'm sure it happens to no one here because you're a Bible church. (laughs) Right? But again, this is what I really struggled with last year. I was so busy with raising our kids, so busy with ministry. I actually forgot to read the Bible because I love it. And I think that's what God wants us to cultivate in our disciples. A love for the Word of God. And especially for, um, for parents out here, you know. One of the greatest things you can give your children is not a good education, although that's important. One of the things you can give your children is not a good environment to live in and money, but the most important thing you can pass to your children is the love for the Word of God. That is something you must pass on because a principle we use in our church is what one generation neglects, the next generation will reject. So if you as parents don't love the Word of God, if you're not reading it daily, then your children certainly will not love and read the Word of God. So last year, I made a commitment that every day when I wake up, I'm going, I'm, instead of, when I wake up, I'm not going to grab this. <laughs> I'm going to try to grab this. Because I realize in the morning, sometimes I'm, I, the phone is next to my bed, I just wake up and I grab it and I start checking my emails, my texts, and my messages, and I get so stressed out about it. But God was convicting me, you know, don't grab the the phone. Don't grab the phone, but grab the Word of God. I made a commitment this year that I will try to read the Word of God entirely in one year. I'm already in Judges. I hope I can make it. (laughs) Okay, it's June. And and the first couple of days was really difficult, really difficult to get into that habit. And I was reading God's Word. It was just, it was just, I didn't have not cultivated that habit. But after a while, for a few weeks, when I read the Word of God over and over again, I began to enjoy it and began to affect my day. I started feeling more relaxed throughout the day because once I read the Word of God, I felt that God was with me. He's always with me, but I recognized that He was with me. And it gave me a peace throughout the day through work and ministry. And that's one of the benefits of having a love for the Scriptures, as you sense Jesus by you. But when I'm grabbing this, the first thing in the morning, I'm reading all the things I need to do, all the things I must attend to. And it's, it fills the day with, with stress. And I believe the first thing we grab in the morning is really what we love to do. So I believe love needs to be cultivated for the scriptures because discipleship is based on the word of God. That's how we know Jesus. 
So discipleship begins with Jesus coming to us in our struggles. It starts with the supernatural in our life. It's with the scriptures. But the story does not end there as well. The story ends with the most powerful part of this passage. Oh, I forgot to tell you this. I just want to continue on. It's like one day um, I was opening up my, my journal. Um, this is my journal I write verses in. And I found this, this messy writing in my journal. And I was like, what's this? And I found out my son had actually opened my journal and wrote these words in it. He wrote Deuteronomy twelve eighteen, And it says, be careful to obey all these regulations I am giving you so that you may always rejoice before the Lord your God in. He didn't quite finish it. But it's okay. And I was like, what in the world? Why would my son open up my journal and write a verse in? And I think because he's seen Papa doing his quiet time, writing in my journal. And he's just copying it. And this is a verse he memorized somewhere. He wanted to put it in my journal. And I guess this is an example of how discipleship is really modeling it and people following it. It's not really a program as well. So I just want to share that with you as well. I'm just so blessed by that. But again, why does Jesus give us a love for the scriptures? Why does Jesus give us miracles? Why does Jesus draw near to us? Is it for our own benefit or is there a greater purpose? And the answer again is in the word of God. So here, going back to the story, Jesus has reappeared to his disciples. He's going to do give a a big speech and his disciples are really listening to what he says. And he says this in verse 45 and 46. Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead. They're like, yes, yes, this is right. We believe that now. We believe that. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And at this moment, the disciples are probably a little bit confused. Why would they be confused? Why would they be confused? Because if you look at verse 21, this is the mindset of the disciples. He had said this in verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. That statement is very, you must bonus this. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. If you know the Jewish mindset, they always thought Jesus was going to be a political figure, right? They thought Jesus would come and overthrow the government and bring the Jewish people from minority to the most poor people in the society, And that's what they were thinking. When Jesus resurrected, he had the Superman body. They were probably thinking, after this, Jesus is going to go to King Herod's office, overthrow the government, and the Jewish people will be the most powerful people in the world. That's what they were thinking. That's what their mindset was. Jesus was going to redeem them politically. But Jesus had other plans for them. He says, no, I'm not here to restore your kingdom. You have another job. And he says... In verse 49, it's a clincher. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses. And what he was saying is, I resurrected from the dead. I spent time with you. I showed you miracles so you can be witnesses of these things. And this is the most critical part of discipleship we must come away with is Jesus disciples us ultimately 
to send us out as witnesses. You are witnesses of these things. And the disciples totally missed this. And they continued to miss this. Because they thought Jesus died for them. To make their lives better. They thought all these miracles and scriptures is for us. And they forgot that Jesus did not come to overturn a political system. But he came to change the hearts of people. And we live in a world of so much political turmoil, right? You know, I don't have to say anything else. (laughs) We live in a world where every country deals with political, and people are trying, thinking that the political system will change people. And that's not true. Politics will not change people. Only the hearts of people. Only sin and repentance will change people. Amen? That is what Jesus came to be. And these days, I think the disciples have forgotten. And sadly enough, I think sometimes we forget too. We sometimes think the gospel is just for us. We think Jesus answered our prayers just for us. Our children are going through a difficult time in school. We pray and God answers our prayer and we move on with life. We have a difficult situation at work. We pray that God will help it. He solved it and we move on with life. And when we do that, we become a very consumeristic gospel. Have you ever thought about when you pray to God for something, when he answers your prayer at work, do you ever think that you should be witnessing that prayer? That when people ask you at work, your non-Christian friend says, oh, I saw that work issue cleared up. What happened? You can, that's a chance to say, God answered my prayer. God always blesses us so we can be a blessing to others. When God came to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'll bless you so you can bless the nations, right? God chose Israel so they can bless other people. The disciples, the same thing. I disciple you so you can bless other people. But sometimes in our day and age, we are a distracted people. We have distracted discipleship. We think that the gospel is all about us. And sometimes we think being a Christian is being on a cruise ship, (laughs) sailing the seas, enjoying our life. And we forget that being a Christian is being on a battleship where souls need to be saved. And I'm so fortunate that God has blessed this church, um, SF Bible Church, with this brand new building. And this building, again, is not just to bless you all. To have more space. This building, I'm praying that this building will be a blessing to the community out here. That more and more people will hear Christ because you're living, you're in Terrebelle Street, right? So this church is given to you to be a blessing. Let's not be distracted. But I'll be the first to admit I am certainly distracted. I am so busy. And one of my major distractions in life is cooking. <laughs> And I love to cook. And a few years ago, I was looking for, I love to make waffles for my kids on Sunday. And I wanted to buy a waffle iron. So um, what became a simple task became an obsession. (laughs) And I began researching on eBay, on Amazon, all the ratings. I'm sure you never do this. And finding the best deal. And I finally found the best waffle iron for the best price. And after a couple months, my wife says, don't you think you're spending too much time on this waffle iron? I said, I'm doing it for the children. And then it came in the mail. It was like Christmas Day. I opened the waffle maker. I said, kids, come. We're going to have great waffles. I plug it in, and suddenly I smell smoke. 
And so what is going on? And the waffle iron began to smoke and wires were on fire. And at that day, my, my wife was there. I just began almost in tears. And my wife felt so sorry for him. She said, so pitiful. And that, and that, and that moment, God really spoke to me. He says, Andy, are you laying up treasures on heaven or laying up treasures? Are you laying up treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy? Or are you laying up treasures in heaven? And God really convicted me. It's like, why are you so obsessed with this? Why are you focusing on something that's so temporary? Focus on eternal things, things that will really, really matter. And God really convicted me that I had just lost focus. So I just, after that, I just bought the cheapest waffle iron and it moved on with life. <laughs> and then during that time, my wife had asked me to spend time with one of her friends from work. She said, the guy named Thomas, you know, spend, I think he's open to the gospel. And I actually said to her, I don't have time to spend time with him. Maybe I'll send a church member to spend time with him. But after this whole waffle iron experience, I said, you know, I have time to do this, but I don't have time to do this as well. So I began to just uh, spend time with Thomas, and we got to know each other. I invited him to Easter service, and after Easter service, he heard the message, and he didn't accept Christ. And that's okay, because that's God's job. But God, in his wonderful mercy, a few months later, he sent me a text. He says, Andy, I accepted Christ and other church. And he was going to get baptized as well. And it was such an honor for me. Um, and afterwards, I did some simple Bible study reading with him. I brought a church member as well. This is a picture of his baptism. We went through just some Bible studies with him. And it's amazing when you, when, when you, when you witness someone reading, the God, reading God's word for the first time. And the amount of joy I received from seeing someone else read the Bible for the first time. I was so filled with joy. Is so much better than a good waffle. Really. I said, how can I miss this? And this is what discipleship is really about, is being a witness in our everyday life. So just let me ask you, are there any waffle irons in your life? Are there things in your life that distract you from the main goal of discipleship? It might be relationship. It might be your own family. It might be work. And you have to ask God to remove these distractions, to focus on the main thing. Because church, we're not going to be here forever. And there's only two things that will last forever. is the word of God and the souls of men. The word of God and the souls of men. So let's invest time in those items. Jesus disciples us so we can make disciples of others. And my question for us, church, is are we making disciples? Are we being a witness for Christ in our everyday life? I just want to share a, a closing testimony before I close. And, and I want to share about a mother and daughter in our church. Again, this mother and daughter had very difficult times um, for some terrible circumstances. Um, Claudia uh, is a single mom. And when she was pregnant with, uh, with her daughter, Sarah, she really worried about um, Sarah's upbringing without a father figure in her life. But she just prayed and prayed that Sarah would love the Lord. And when Sarah was born, she re-released Sarah to be in the church, to serve in the church. And she really prayed. And in God's wonderful blessing, Sarah loved the church. She served in Sunday school. She served in the youth programs. And eventually she had a heart for missions field. And she asked her mom, can I serve in missions? And Claudia said, yes. 
And sometimes in our church, the parents are like, full-time ministry, not my child, because they had pumped up so much education into them and so many things. But Claudia really released her daughter. And just last year, her daughter went with YWAM for a six-month attachment. And now Sarah is full-time in our church, just 20-plus years doing full-time ministry with our youth ministry. Praise the Lord. But as we learn, you can make make disciples when you're young. You can make disciples also when you're older as well. Because God had a plan for Claudia, even in her 60s. She's already retired, and she's already a grandmother. But God spoke to her again. It's like, will you still make disciples? And Claudia says, I am not young anymore. What can I do? But God led, God gave Claudia a really heart for children, especially for children in poverty areas. And God led Claudia to do missions work in the Philippines. She went on a three-month internship to Manila doing a reading program for slum children. And she, it's amazing that she, in her old age, can do it. She spent three months there just witnessing and blessing those children now. And now um, Claudia is one of our part-time missionaries in our church. Isn't it amazing how God uses this mother and daughter to make disciples? And that is my prayer for San Francisco Bible Church, that disciples will come out of this church, that one day you will send people all over the world to share the gospel, to make more disciples. That would be the greatest legacy for this church as well. So my question is, will you be a disciple and will you make disciples of others? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, in our church, we usually, after the sermon, we have a time of response. So we don't just be hearers of the word, but that we respond and recommit ourselves to the Lord. And with our eyes closed, no one looking around, just ask us a simple question. Is, are you walking with Jesus now? Are you being a true disciple of Christ? Or maybe these days you have been distracted by the busyness of life. But today God is convicting you, saying, don't be distracted with the things that don't matter the things that are temporary, but be focused on the eternal, which is the word of God and the souls of men. So if you feel God is speaking to you and you want to recommit yourself, saying, Lord, help me to walk closer with you. Help me to be less distracted. Help help me be a disciple. Help me to be a witness. If that is your desire today, I'm going to ask you just to do a simple act of just raising your right hand before the Lord. So that is your desire to say, Lord, help me to be a disciple. Help me to be less distracted. If that is your desire, just raise your right hand right now before the Lord. No one looking around. Just raise your right hand before the Lord as a recommitment to him. No one's looking. It's between you and the Lord. So if your desire is to walk closer with Christ, to lead a less distracted life, just raise your right hand before the Lord. Many hands raised. It's between you and the Lord. Anyone else want to recommit themselves to the Lord today? Heavenly Father, Lord, many of us here today are praying that you will help us, Lord, 
that just like you went to the two disciples thousands of years ago, we know you'll draw near to us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for being distracted. Forgive us, Lord, for focusing on receiving blessing from you, but not sharing the blessing with others, Lord. Remove the waffle irons from our life, Lord. Remove the things that don't really matter, Lord. And use us in our everyday life to share about Jesus Christ, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, in San Francisco Bible Church, Lord, that you will fill this building with new disciples, Lord, so they can reproduce themselves and share the gospel because Jesus is coming coming again soon, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen.